Alright, and welcome back to another episode of Favorite Things with Mark and Betsy. Uh, we are still in the month of October uh, for Halloween. I forget whether we're in week three or four. Um, three. It's somewhere in there. Bobby says hi. Um, but continuing in our kind of non-themed theme of uh, Halloween, uh, tonight we are actually going to be watching a classic horror film. Uh, the 1931 film Dracula, starring Bela Lugosi. So, this is both of our first times uh-huh. watching this. I am familiar with the story of Dracula. Okay. Out of curiosity, tell me front-end expectations. What are we going to see? Um, we're going to see a vampire. Okay. That... Um... I don't know. That's I don't know. He's going to be vampiring people. I don't know. Vampiring people. <laughs> what is vampiring people? I don't know. He's going to be biting their necks, turning them into vampires. Okay. I don't know. That's all right. So, so in your <laughs> mind, are vampires and zombies like second cousins or? Maybe. I don't know. Okay. I, I think I think you might be closer with this prediction than you've ever been in the past. Okay. So I don't know anything about Dracula. I'm just like... I... That's all right. So this... Uh, what I know about this going in is this particular Dracula is based on a play that was happening around the same time. Uh, if I remember correctly, Bela Lugosi was actually in the stage play and uh, fought really hard to get this role. Unfortunately, Bela Lugosi, after this movie, was so typecast that he just kept having to go back and play Dracula and things, and it was it was one of those things where you couldn't escape the role. The role was you. You were the role. Mm, and, and so, uh, we're going to watch this film. It is a short film. It is uh, feature length in that it is an hour and 15 minutes long, but... As far as most of the stuff we watch, this is going to be on the short side. So, um, sit back, relax, turn out the lights, put on some popcorn, uh, maybe leave on just enough light so that you don't get scared of what's behind you, (laughs) and enjoy the film Dracula from 1931. And so, what we just watched was a very old film. <laughs> yes. So, um, let's let's go ahead and get it out of the way. This is, in 2022, nearly 100 years on, this is kind of a rough movie to watch. Yeah. Um, so, everything that's been learned in roughly the past 100 years of filmmaking doesn't exist at the time they're making this movie. Um, A couple of other versions of the Dracula story have been either on the stage or in film. This is actually a film adaptation of the stage play from around that time. You can kind of tell by the way people act, the staging. Um, And 
there's a lot that with a nearly a hundred years time, it doesn't age well. It's just no. It it's not great. With that said, we're a show called Favorite Things, so rather than just tearing things apart, we'd like to pick out what we enjoy. And so, one thing I want to say that this movie has in spades is atmosphere. Yes. And the whole movie is creepy and feels damp. Uh, yeah. And... There, there was some of this movie I would have loved to have seen more of. They spend a surprisingly little time in Transylvania in this film. And I would have loved for them to have spent more time there uh, because I felt like the early parts of the film when they're in Transylvania, a lot of the tension is built by the villagers, is built right. by this... Uh, the anticipation of Count Dracula. And what Bela Lugosi does really well in this film is he very much has a, a screen presence and uh, specifically when he's being charming, it's there's an intensity to him that's, that's almost compelling and you understand why people would want to be around him mm -hmm. what kind of turns for the character as far as a viewer is he's very robotic in his moves as the monster right. Dracula and um, I remember as a child just seeing pictures of Dracula from this film and being terrified um, <laughs> just hey just the, just the concept of, if you're reading about it, if you're reading about this character of Count Dracula and, and the stuff he does, it's terrifying because, A, your imagination will always be more powerful than anything they can show you on screen, and they always had just the right picture. And there are moments in this film where Bela Lugosi is frightening, um, but there are moments... And at the time, I remember reading that uh, they had to uh, cut out, at the end of the movie, there was a message from like the head of the studio that was like, and just remember, when you're at home and the lights are out, that vampires do exist. And they cut that out of some showings uh, because it was terrifying people. <laughs> and... Uh, this this movie is very much a product of its time. Yeah. And there's a lot that's really interesting from this. Uh, I think that the costuming, the set designs are very neat. Um, there is something inherently creepy about a castle. And apparently in turn of the century, London and Transylvania, there are castles on every corner. <laughs> They're crumbling beneath you. Yes, and they're in and they're in ill repair. Um, so getting to what what are your thoughts? Coming off of this, what what are your thoughts? There is no part during that movie that I felt fear or scared. You know, the things that it's supposed to make it horror was not I was just watching it like 
okay? <laughs> to me, I didn't feel like I was watching a horror movie, which is okay. I don't like horror movies. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, I'm sure I'm like, one of the thoughts that goes through my head is, if I would have watched this as like a teenager, early 20s, when I grew up watching mostly old movies. Yeah. Um, how would I have felt about it then? Would I yes. have been afraid? Because that's what I grew up with. We, like, we also, I mean... One of the reasons we rolled off of, of Stranger Things is because they're, they have come so far in a hundred years of horror and they know now how to make that feeling of darkness foreboding, but also how to make it terrifying. Yeah. Um, because in this movie, for one thing, we never really get the main characters of Jonathan Harker and Mina. I don't know that they ever said Mina's last name in this. It's in the book. It's not in this. Um, they never, they never give us them in a normal situation. Mm -hmm. They're always either meeting Dracula on the run from Dracula or trying to fight Dracula. And those are the only circumstances yeah. you ever meet them. And so there is no normal. And so we don't ever really feel for the characters right. because we haven't built that. Whereas when you're in a Stranger Things or even a lot of modern horror movies, the rule of thumb is you introduce your main characters early, attach attach the audience to them in some way. Even if they're a terrible person and because you've got enough of them that you need to get a high body count, mm -hmm. you have to attach us to them enough that you feel something as things happen to them. Yeah. As things happen to Jonathan Harker and to, to Mina, I felt so detached from those characters in this version. Uh, full transparency, I have seen other versions of Dracula. I have I've read other versions of the Dracula story. Uh, the character of Count Dracula is in the public domain. People can do whatever they want with him. But this particular version, I, I found myself drawn to two characters, and I almost wish, and, and maybe the, the filmmakers felt the same way, I almost wish the movie had been drawn to them instead of the characters of Jonathan Harker and Mina. Um, and I found Professor Van Helsing an incredible like protagonist in this. However, they make him a secondary hero to Jonathan who does nothing except yeah. honestly be kind of a punk. Yeah. In this movie and all he ever does is make the wrong decisions. And what's interesting to me is he is the quote-unquote romantic lead of this film. Right. And fun fact he was the studio's first choice for Dracula. <laughs> he turned it down to take the Jonathan Harker role because he wanted he wanted the the romantic lead role. How funny. Uh, because he thought the heroic lead was the star of the movie, not realizing this is a monster movie. Dracula's the lead of the movie. Yeah. Um I 
I found the character of Van Helsing compelling because he walks into scenes and he asks questions. He knows what he's talking about. And there is enough struggle with him as a character and enough chemistry between him and Bela Lugosi as Dracula that I'm like, I wanted the whole movie to be this. I wanted it to be these two playing a cat and mouse game because it reminded me a lot of a good Sherlock Holmes story. It reminded me of, uh, for Bela Lugosi's Dracula being kind of a Moriarty type character, um, or a Jack the Ripper, um, to Van Helsing is very much a Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. And he's walking into the situation and he's like, no, that's not going to work. This is, we have to do it this way. If we do it this way, he'll never be able to get in. And no one ever listens to him. And so they end up paying their own consequences. Not so much in this version as in others, but <laughs> uh, I, I find vampire stories very interesting and and this one kind of scratches the surface uh one thing that's just really interesting about this movie uh no blood there is no blood in this movie the beginning he pricks his finger ah there is there is three drops of red wine uh that that get on uh renfield's finger um and uh would you believe me if i told you that the character of renfield at the beginning of this at least in most of the other versions of the dracula story that i've watched is the jonathan harker character no yes so in Bram Stoker's Dracula, 1992. Um, first of all, who would you think, circa 1992, who would you think would play the Jonathan Harker role? Sorry, I, the face is in my head. That's just because it's the name of that time that I, that I would know, but now I can't think of his name. Uh, can you think of a movie? George of the Jungle. Brendan Fraser. Brendan Fraser is a hair young, but close um, in in era. Okay. You're you're in the yeah. right ballpark. Yeah, that's what I'm like. That's the that's the only person I could think of from that time. Okay. That I, that I would never think of, but Keanu Reeves. Oh no. <laughs> and he does one of the worst accents in that movie, um, but it's it's an interesting choice. Uh, uh, Winona Ryder. Um, that's the mom from Stranger Things, right? Yeah. Okay, sorry. My head... I was trying to make sure I wasn't saying Winona Judd, and so I was... <laughs> I was doubting myself. I was doubting myself. Um, so Winona Ryder plays Mina in that film, and Gary Oldman plays Dracula, and... That movie plays with the gothic atmosphere. It plays with a lot more of the Dracula mythology. It plays um, a lot more with the fact that it's Jonathan's fault that Mina gets introduced to Count Dracula. 
in this movie, I don't know if you realized it or not, there's no reason that Dracula should ever be introduced to them. Yeah. In the other versions, there's a reason that Dracula ever gets turned on to Mina. And it's not just because he sees a woman, it's he is introduced and then it builds to something. Yeah. And this is, they're trying to get a stage play and a book, a decent length book, not terribly long, but long enough. They're trying to get that into an hour and a half. Yeah. Um, or less. At the time, film's expensive. You don't know how long you, uh, people's attention is. It's the earliest days of talking pictures. Yeah. And... So here's the thing. They released a version that was because a lot of theaters at the time did not have the equipment for talkies. Oh wow. And so a lot of theaters still had just the old piano and then a projector that just put the, the picture on the screen. And so they released a version that had the captions when they needed yeah. them. A lot of this movie is just acting um, and very little speaking. Um, and a lot of the acting, if you think about what they're doing on the screen in the context of not having sound, it makes a lot more sense why it would be so grandiose. Yeah. Because they're, they've got to give a gesture that says, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, but it's this, it's this weird transition period. Right. Uh, even... I think that's what makes it so intriguing to watch, too. Yes, it's, this is a, this is a fascinating piece of film history for me. Um, and this is, again, this is the first time I've ever watched this version of the story, this film. And... I'm I'm fascinated, but at the same time, I don't know if I'm ever going to watch this again. <laughs> yeah. And and the reason is we've come so far in telling stories on screen. We've we've come so far from in, in sound. One of the things that bothered me while we were watching this movie was the fact that you could have music you could have sound effects or you could have talking, but you could not have all three at the same time. Yeah. And... It constantly sounded like it was raining on set. <laughs> well, it's it's always yeah. that sound of the running sound. Yeah. And um, in a theater, especially back at that time, you would have the sound of the projector to cover that up. But, but here in our home with... Uh, even with just our TV with no soundbar set up, uh, we have a simulated surround that comes off of our TV, and that's distracting. Yeah. And at the same time, it made me feel uneasy because the creature comforts that we have of naturalistic sound now in, in film give you a false sense of comfort mm -hmm. as you're watching a movie or TV show and when you don't have that and you just have this 
Making the hip hog When you had that white noise just constant for an hour and a half, except yeah. for punctuations, yeah. it it's unsettling. Yeah. I mean, our cat was, she kept walking around very disturbed while we were watching it. Like, she, yeah, it was just interesting watching her because she did not like that sound. Mm-hmm. And so, what's really, what's really neat to consider watching this film, uh, I, I will say, while it's probably the last time I'm ever going to watch this film, I want to watch all the other, I don't know about all the other, but I want to watch a lot of the other versions of this story to get what's, what they learned and what works. Um, one of the things that I found fascinating in the context of this movie is the Dracula archetype that, that we know. I mean, even the Count from Sesame Street is yeah. based on this. And I was thinking of Count Chocula. <laughs> also, also based on that, yeah. So the idea that the, the Dracula costume that we're familiar with mm-hmm. is based on kind of this Victorian count, this, um, the novel was published in the 1890s, and I always think about the, the Dracula costume with the slick back hair and the tuxedo and a cape, and I'm like, that's kind of silly. But if you think about Victorian England, high society, a guy comes in and he's going to quote-unquote blend in. Yeah. As a count in an English society, he's going to come in and he's going to be in a fancy dress. And because outer garments are in a different era, they wear capes. And so it's not a vampire costume. He's wearing a cape because everyone else is wearing a cape. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's interesting. That's neat. It's historically significant. Um, and all the things we take for granted now, this film didn't have. Uh, when we were watching the beginning and the ships being tossed about, <laughs> and they're speeding up footage of guys on a deck that I don't know if it came from this film initially or not, or if it was stock footage from something else. Yeah. And then... If you watched carefully, the footage of the ship being tossed is a toy boat, and it's being played in reverse. The footage is being played in reverse. And I was sitting there watching it, and I was like, oh, that's that's really cheesy, and that's really cheap. And then I thought about it, and I'm like, that's all I had. It's 1930, 1929, 1930. They barely know how to work the camera. Right. As a matter of fact, the sets for this film are so expensive. During one part of the day they're filming this, on the opposite hours, a Spanish film crew, completely different cast and crew, is using the exact same sets to make a Spanish-language Dracula film. Released the same year in Spanish-speaking countries. Same exact sets. Nice. And that was how they that that was how they saved money. Yes. And now we we have the volume that they're shooting Mandalorian and everything yeah. on. But 
back then they didn't. If you wanted a set, you built a set. Like we said earlier, this is basically a film stage play. Yeah. And I, I would love if I ever saw that a stage version of Dracula was nearby, I would love to watch that. Yeah. Because we have advances now in stage special effects. We have, um, like I said earlier, we have had advances in acting. Um, one of the things that Lugosi brings to this movie, besides his just physical presence, is his voice. And it's not a put-on. If... If I found out that the Dracula voice was, in this film, an affectation, and it wasn't real or authentic, I would be mad. Because it feels like, now, a hundred years removed, it feels like a stereotype and a put-on. Yeah. And if someone else were to do it now, I would, I'd be kind of ticked off. Because I'm like, why are you doing that? Why are you putting on that voice? It's like the fake Indian voice that everyone knows. Yeah. And everyone's thinking of it right now. I don't have to say it or do it. And everyone's yeah. thinking of it. And it's a stereotype. And the voice that Dracula does in this is a stereotype. Until you realize that's Lugosi's natural yeah. inflection. That, that That's his natural dialect. Yeah. Now, did he start and stop because he was being theatrical? Yeah. But that's actually his voice. And it's, like I said, this is a fascinating film. One of the things that I keep thinking about, like, from, like, at the beginning when, like, he first walked into Dracula's castle, kind of trying to figure out what was going on, even though you could tell it's in shambles around him. Like, I want to see this in color. So they released a colorized version of the film. And, again... I don't think I'm going to watch this yeah. movie again, even in color. No, I just felt like, I'm like, I feel like this is like a very beautiful scene that they're walking in on, but you can't see the beauty of it. So I, I agree with you, but at the same time, I believe that the black and white adds to the atmosphere of this yeah. film. And if you take that away, it changes it. Not necessarily for the bad, but it changes it from the feeling that you get watching the film. Mm-hmm. It reminds me very much of... Um, It's a Wonderful Life. If you watch It's a Wonderful Life in color versus in black and white, it's an entirely different movie. I mean, I grew up with colorized. I I don't think until we got married and I saw it on TV that I knew that it was actually black and white. So I'd always seen it in color. I'd only ever seen it in black and white until we got married. (laughs) Um, And it was not until about five years ago I saw the colorized version. But if you watch It's a Wonderful Life in black and white... First of all, the the movie plays out kind of like a classic film until about the halfway mark. And when things start going south for George, it becomes a dark, dark, dark movie mm-hmm. in black and white. Because, A, the, the film is shot so dark, just like Dracula. Everything's shot so dark. And so in that darkness, what stood out to me watching this was how bright everything was. Mm-hmm. Um, It's a Wonderful Life is, ironically, a darker movie than this. And this is a movie about a guy who sucks people's blood. (laughs) Um, But, again, they didn't know how to shoot in the dark. And I, I I think about 
all of the hoops that over the past hundred years filmmakers have jumped through storytelling the actual process of getting the image on film and um, then you get into things like adding color special effects uh, the bat in this movie I, <laughs> I laughed every time I came on the screen it's funny but at the same time it's a stage play and they don't yeah. have special effects and they don't have actual bats around right and I I look at it and it's it's watching it's watching someone from a hundred years ago try to use a cell phone. Yeah. If I showed someone my my tablet or the phone that we're recording this podcast on, they're gonna go, "What is that?" It looks like it looks like a small mirror. Yeah. It this looks like I remember as a kid, uh, the mirror came off of my grandma's. Uh, side view, uh, the side view mirror came off, and it looks like our cell phones now. Yeah. And but we take that for granted. Yeah. And it's like a hundred years from now, what will people think of like the movies that like they'll be like, oh my gosh, it's so fake and like. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but like, wait, what? But even in advances, there are things that haven't gotten better. Um, when we watched Michael Clayton. Mm-hmm. Um, the other week, almost 20 years have passed since that, and movies actually, in some ways, have gotten worse. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. It this is fascinating. Yeah, I it was. I don't know how much of a favorite thing outside of the Halloween favorite things uh, this will fall. But as a historical piece, I think it is one of my favorite things because it felt like traveling back in time and visiting a different era and taking a moment to go, wow, we have come so far, you don't even process it until you look back at the starting point. Yeah. Um, and this is this is a movie that has sound. It's not a great sound, it's actually quite bad, <laughs> yeah. but it has sound. And the Draculas that came before this did not. And looking at the next hundred years of film where where does it go where do you go with horror movies and and that's that's worth looking into so uh i know we talked more about historical context than the actual movie but this was fun this was a fun journey yeah was. I, I kind of enjoyed it. It's like I had no expect. I you know I told you what at the beginning what I expected, and it, it was exactly what I expected in some ways. But so with that said, um, we're gonna let you the the listener uh, go. But I'm gonna give you a heads up on what Betsy and I are gonna use as a quote unquote palate cleanser. Not that our palate needs <laughs> cleansing, yeah. um, but. Uh, Mel Brooks in the year of our Lord 1994 uh, released a film uh, spoof of Dracula called Dracula Dead and Loving It and it hits all of the beats of this film and plays them up as only Mel Brooks could and if you can handle a PG-13 Mel Brooks Dracula retelling I highly recommend checking it out uh, it is legitimately a favorite thing. Will we do an episode on it? Maybe sometime when we talk about comedies. Uh, but for Halloween and for horror and for thrills and chills, I think that's all the time we've got. Okay. 
So have a great week. Make sure you're finding your favorite things, and I hope you'll join us next week as we talk about ours. Bye.